Welcome to Podcast for Leaderful Schools, coming to you almost live from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. Uh, this is Bob Maxfield, and I am joined by my ever-wonderful co-host, Dr. Suzanne Klein. And uh, I always forget to say this, but I'll say it right now. Uh, we'll be introducing our guests in a few moments, but we have uh, our guest has uh, willingly agreed to be interviewed and to have us record this, and that's a, a legal responsibility we have. So. And before we introduce you, Tyron, thanks for that. So, Sue, it's a wonderful snowy day in Southeast Michigan. Uh, we were just talking earlier about the fact that it's worse some places, but it's pretty chilly here. So, uh, uh, we hope our listeners are someplace warmer than we are. Absolutely. It's a Christmas card or calendar photo looking out the window today. Uh, but you certainly need to be bundled up if you're going outside. Well, we have a, a really special guest today, and uh, Suzanne, I know you, you know Carmen better than anybody. Well, obviously, her husband probably knows her a little better, but uh, 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 I think that uh, why don't we begin by having you do an introduction, and then we'll, uh, we'll get on with the interview. Our guest today is Dr. Carmen Kennedy Rogers, who is um, now at the Skillman Foundation, but she's had a very impactful career in K-12. Carmen, can you give our listeners a quick sketch of the pathway that got you to where you are today? Because you've done some interesting things. Yes, 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 yes. And thank you both so much for this opportunity. So it's my pleasure to be here. Um, so uh, I came to the Skillman Foundation July of 2019. And previous to that, I was the assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction in Avondale schools right there in Auburn Hills next door to Oakland University. Um, previous to that, I was the high school principal at Southlake High School. Um, prior to that, I was the high school assistant principal and athletic director at Gross Point North High School, where I know Dr. Klein from. Um, before that, I was a physical, physical education teacher and girls basketball coach in Troy School District. And I actually started my teaching career in Detroit Public Schools. Um, I was a physical education teacher at Oakman Elementary, which was a school specifically for children with a variety of physical, mental, and behavioral needs. And I have a minor in adaptive PE, which is PE for people with a variety of abilities. Um, and I just wanna share, since I'm here with Oakland University, I also have served as an adjunct assistant professor at Madonna University and adjunct um, faculty at Wayne State University. And you haven't really mentioned, but uh, you're a relatively newly minted uh, PhD as well. Yes, I am. Yes. So um, I actually, I, I uh, graduated, whatever graduation looks like in this virtual world, December of 2020. So very happy. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. you, you oh, go ahead, Susan. You had an interesting path for leading learning, Carmen, um, and leading learning, whether it's with students with unique learning needs and needing special support, whether it was in your classroom as you were teaching PE, as you moved into leadership positions, you had a variety of different roles that you played. And again, having watched your work in the school district where we both were at the same time and where I was lucky enough to, to get to know you after hiring you, um, your, your focus on what matters most for students and their families has always been right at the, the top of the list and you live into those expectations and hopes and dreams. What attracted you as you were sitting um, in K-12? Uh, what attracted you to think about how your work might um, benefit the Skillman Foundation? 
So um, because of who I am, I am authentic to who I am. I was seeking out my next life stretch opportunity, my next challenge. Um, so there is a restlessness that I pay attention to. And it's usually is telling me it is time for a new stretch opportunity. It could be a personal pursuit. Um, it could be my education career, or it can just be my career. And so because I'm a lifelong learner, I, always, I am always looking for opportunities to evolve. And so I wanted to learn about and experience other entities that supported and lifted up the education system that were not necessarily K-12. And because I am from Detroit, I, I was aware of the longstanding work of the Skillman Foundation and the very bold leadership of Tanya Allen. And so when the opportunity was shared with me for the uh, senior program officer at the Skillman Foundation, the restlessness inside of me kind of tuned in. So on the front page of our website, regardless of the latest news and updates, you will always find these words, fierce champion of Detroit children. And that title, that label, that is what I wanted to be part of. So the Skillman Foundation Philanthropy specifically a focus on education in Detroit was my, is my, my stretch opportunity. And I wanted to utilize my leadership skills and experience as an educator to pursue my passion for children and learning in a new way. And um, Skillman has definitely offered um, the opportunity for me to uh, assign myself in working for the children and the families and the educators in, uh, in Detroit right now. Thank you. No, we're we're, we're, we're having this conversation uh, almost a year into the pandemic and all of the changes that have been necessary because of it. And, and the theme of our podcast series is, is resetting education post-pandemic. And you know, sooner or later, we're going to be back to normal. But the real question is, what's normal going to look like? And so we want to really push this with you personally, and then we'll talk about what the Skillman Foundation's priorities are as well. But, you know, what many have said is that the pandemic has revealed problems that were heretofore sort of hidden in public education. Uh, and, so we, and so maybe we've learned something. Maybe we've learned something about teaching and learning, uh, particularly in urban areas. Uh, and we've learned things that will tell us we need to do it differently moving forward. So Cameron, that's a long kind of convoluted question, but what are your thoughts about that? What have, what have we learned during the pandemic and what do you hope we do differently coming out of it? So Dr. Maxfield, when I hope we embrace this statement, let's not be content with returning back to normal. Normal was not equitable and excellent. It was just familiar. Let's strive towards transforming mindsets, instructional practices, leadership practices, expectations and systems. So like right now is this opportunity to dismantle the inequities that permeate our educational systems and to liberate education. And so in response to your, your question, um, I will respond in the asset main fr framework. And so we know as leaders, there will be plenty of unforeseen challenges and barriers. And one of the key phrases I've learned while working at Skillman, we work on systems and complex change. We use the phrase, what would it take? And so a great example that I will lift up specifically for educator leaders right now who are in the midst in the storm of um, 
making some very important decisions actually comes from the words of Amanda Gorman. And she was the poet that shared her brilliance at the pres at President Biden's and Vice President Harris's uh, inauguration on January 20th. So in her poem, The Hill We Climb, she shared these words and I'll read them. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always justice. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. So as we think about returning face to face, um, we, our students, our educators, our schools are not broken. We have plenty of opportunities to carry on with lots of unfinished business, the business of providing educational opportunities that are accessible and equitable for each child. So when our students return back to face, whenever that is, um, we must not be okay with carrying on with like normal. We must acknowledge that this whole experience from the health pandemic to the racial reckoning that is happening has been filled with stress, trauma, and sadness. So to keep moving forward, I encourage leaders to listen to observe, to listen and to observe. As a leader, we know you always have to think 100 steps ahead and plan that way. However, when we are so far out in front, we are not pausing and we are not listening to the now. So walking slow and walking with, we have to remember that all of our babies, regardless how old they are, from three years old to 18 years old, are returning back face to face with a whole lot of things that they are carrying and their reality is different now. So we have to be willing to press pause. And so are our, our educators, our teachers who are living their own personal lives and have their own personal complications. So all of us have to be willing to pause. Um, and so here's the question to turn a challenge into an opportunity. What would it take to return back face-to-face -face with minimum stress in optimum collaborative planning, implementation, monitoring, and adjusting along the way to be responsive to so many, so many competing demands. So we know that each school district, each school is very different, but I offer the challenge to all of us to think about what would it take to overcome the complications. The other piece that I, I do wanna lift up, which I, just from my own personal walk in building level um, administration and, and central office administration, um, I really encourage our leaders to focus on radical self-care and love. And they must model that for everybody else. To, they must focus on curating and cultivating the space for wellness, to focus on the staff. And when I say staff, I mean everyone from the custodians, the secretaries, the paraprofessionals, the bus drivers, the teachers, the building leaders. So what would it take to transform a school community to a place where wellness and academic achievement are always used in the same sentence? What would it take to ensure wellness is at the center of learning, teaching, serving, and leading? So as we return face-to-face, Take a pause, walk slow, walk with folks, walk with partners, 
and to really practice radical self-care as a model to create and cultivate a community of wellness within a school. It's not often during one of these conversations that I find myself taking notes, but I just did. Uh, well done. <laughs> but let me push you a little bit on this because okay. our listeners who aren't as close to it as we are, those who are part of this conversation, might say, well, okay, well, so what, what are the inequities that became really obvious during this past year? What are, give, me some, give us some examples. Mm-hmm. So the digital divide. Okay. Um, and... So multiple levels to that, not just having, you know, a device, but having a device that is reliable, that is, um, that is, has all the features and functions that it needs, but then you also need access to the internet. So if that's a hot spot, if that is with your local cable company to get internet, that's a whole nother layer. And then in a family, you may have three or four kids who all need to be online at the same time. And maybe there's only one device or two devices. And so how do families work that out? The other piece I think which has been highlighted is digital literacy. We probably all know how to text and make phone calls, but digital literacy is a whole level of learning that I'm not sure that we have been attentive to in our educational walk, but not just of our children, but for teachers have to have to make the adjustments from teaching in person and being able to like kneel down next to a kid, touch their shoulder and give them encouragement as they're walking them through a lesson. And then all of a sudden you are required to flip your classroom around and find ways to connect to kids in their hearts in a virtual space. So I think just overall, um, the inequities of, of access and accessi- or access and accessibility and the instructional toolboxes um, that we have as well. The other inequity I think that has been called out is that um, parents are parents and guardians, parents and caretakers, if it's grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles, and next door neighbor, whoever it is, they are now the teacher and they are having to walk this journey with their children while they're still working, while they're taking care of loved ones. So that inequity has been called out in terms of what do families need in order to be the best teacher and to be the best parent and the, and, and the best human being to themselves through this time as well. So what I've heard, heard you say so far, and those are, I, mean, I, I noted three things. One is that just we've, we've learned how important self-care is uh, and the stress that teachers have experienced online isn't a lot different than what they were experiencing earlier. So that's certainly there, the digital divide and access issues and then the role of parents and caregivers. And what I love about what you're, as you frame this kind of thing, Carmen, is each of these inequities is followed by that logical question. So what would it take? What would it take? You know, it's not just enough to say, yeah, it's a problem. Well, what would it take to solve? What would it take to, to make parents better able to support their kids? What would it take to uh, put internet access in the hands of every child? And what would it take to make teachers feel safe and healthy? Um, is there any, what else comes to mind? I mean, we've, we've been hearing a lot of things from the superintendents and principals we deal with. Uh, I mean, one of the issues that often is cited is the, uh, 
uh, the need to provide more opportunities for collaboration. You, allowed, you alluded to that earlier, but the, the need to trust our people uh, mm -hmm. to make decisions that are right for kids. Mm -hmm. um, as I think about that in, I didn't emphasize it as strong earlier, but walking with, mm -hmm. I, think, um, I think there are probably a lot of superintendents and district level administrators who are probably in their offices right now as their students and their teachers are virtual. And it is a lonely space to be in. You're there, you are tasked with the opportunity to make some really key decisions. But I think it's also important that leaders think about walking with and the decisions that they're making although they are the, the key decision maker, it is so important to reach out to parents and to teachers and, and to students. So the other point I wanna lift up, especially during this time and in equity is that students' voice and how they're experiencing this pandemic is so important in terms of how we adjust and change it and transform it and dismantle it for them. So this pandemic, I think, has also offered the opportunity for us to amplify student voice and how they're experiencing their learning and their engagement. And so I encourage leaders as they think about walking with, that they really consider walking with their students to make some really key decisions about their time. It, it could be as simple, it, it, let's say that a school decides to go hybrid, sometimes in person, sometimes virtual. Some students have an issue with turning on their cameras, not because they don't want to, because they may not feel comfortable showing the background of their, of their house. They may not feel that they, they, that's a whole lot of vulnerability. You know, when we walk into school, we walk with our backpacks, our coats and whatever we're wearing that day, but now we're exposing people's homes and houses and lives. And so even having a conversation about what's the policy for cameras on or off doing learning is bringing student voice into the conversation. So I just really encourage for leaders to, to walk with um, in their decision-making yet, they are the decision maker. And I believe that as a decision maker, you have to be able to make decisions, but you should always be able to explain the why and the rationale and making your thinking visible to those who you lead and who you have the opportunity to serve. You know, as you, get, as you list these several areas of inequity, uh, I just, I'm haunted by this uh, refrain of what would it take? <laughs> because mm -hmm. it is, you know, editorialists have been writing about all these problems for the last year, but the what would it take is really a what key issue take? as we- Isn't that amazing how it, it just yeah. shifts your mindset to define? Yeah. And, and sometimes what I've learned is not necessarily am I trying to find the solution, I'm trying to find a contribution to the problem. That makes me ask the next question, uh, which is how might we? What would it take? And then how might we? Which is a crossing then the bridge of um, um, let's, let's think about um, what would it take, but then how are we going to get there? And it's a journey, right? It is long and it is um, full of persistence and, and resilience. And, and that was that focus on the wellness piece, that mm -hmm. radical self-care and self-love that leaders and educators must have because it is a long journey. 
The other thing I'm thinking, Carmen, as you were making those very important observations, it's not choosing one and saying, what would it take? You're basically suggesting it's a wraparound of all of those things that are needed. And then whatever else you discover um, as you're asking the question, what would it take? And then how might me, because then it's, it, as you were describing, it's leading from every chair. Yep. And you made an, a wonderful point about the student being another place from which leadership um, can be found or if, from which leadership can surface and be found to help guide the decisions. The other thing that occurs to me as you are, are um, talking with us is the whole notion that it's not going to be a singular event where those questions are asked and perhaps answered. Um, it's going to be unfolding uh, as the organization and our communities move forward. Mm -hmm. So that, that leads me to the question about the Skillman Foundation, as you think about the role Skillman has played so wonderfully to support the, the children of the city of Detroit and their families, where do you see those post-pandemic priorities um, aligning with some of the points you made or, or highlighting others? Mm -hmm. So um, what's really interesting is that during, well, we're still in the pandemic, but from I don't know, early spring of 2020 until about early fall of 2020, we, we started and walked through the second iteration of our strategic direction, this is called, which is called the Opportunity Agenda. And so again, it was just this, it was this opportunity in the middle of chaos to really ground ourselves and to, and to think about what are we doing and how do we wanna to continue to move forward? And so at the Skillman Foundation, um, our director of evaluation and learning, her name is Dr. Andrea Anderson. She's the person who actually posed that question, what would it take? Um, she introduced to us um, um, even before, even before the pandemic, but uh, we, we worked through this framework and Dr. Anderson shared this with us about the six conditions of system change. And so at Skillman, we're focused on systemic changes. And so I'm just going to give this context in terms of how we make our decisions. So there are six conditions. And if you can imagine um, an inverted triangle. So at the top of the triangle, um, there are three conditions, policies, practices, and resource flows. And so these are structural changes. They're explicit. They're clear policies, practices, and resource flows. Then the next layer is in the middle, and that's a relational change, and that's semi-explicit. And so those con two conditions are relationships and connections and power dynamics. And then at the tip, just like an iceberg, we know an iceberg, there's so many things underneath, yeah. is mental models. That's transformative change. That's the implicit work. That's the hard work. That is what that the mental models and the narratives that we have and once those change and flip and what would it take that's when systemic change should come about and i'll share this quote actually from the uh, organization that created this inverted triangle it's called the the name of the organization is called fsg and the quote they have to talk about the six conditions of system change real and equitable progress requires exceptional attention to the detailed and often mundane work of noticing what is invisible to many. 
And so in that inverted triangle, that mental model, that's what's invisible to so many folks. So when we think about our strategy, when we think about how we're showing up right now for kids in this pandemic and post pandemic, um, we are developing our strategy to, to, to encompass the sick, to encompass systems change. So we have three bodies of work. I lead the K-12 education work. My colleague, Terry Whitfield leads after school and my other colleague, um, Kumar Raj leads the college and career pathways. And so as we move into the second iteration of the opportunity agenda, uh, which is for the next three years, there are four primary cross-cutting themes of our strategy work. The first one is no surprise. Menticate learning loss and disconnection due to COVID impacts on kids and systems. So in all of our strategies, we are thinking about, we are working towards, we are grant making, we are change making towards mitigating learning loss and disconnection due to COVID. The second theme is leverage disruption to reimagine how schools and supports are provided. Leverage the disruption to reimagine. So in all of our work, we are helping schools and partners reimagine what it looks like. Again, normal wasn't good, it was just acceptable. Yeah. The third um, theme that we have across our work is amplify and strengthen collective impact efforts specifically to build community, student, and parent power to shape systems. So many times in systems, the people's voices that are silenced are the community members, the community partners, the students, and the parents. So we are working to empower these groups. And fourth, which I, I am, I am, I'm proud of all this, but I am proud of this one in particular, is to build aware, awareness, connection, and advocacy for the opportunity agenda. That means that we, that even though the opportunity is from our thinking, we believe that all of Detroit and beyond all own the opportunity agenda because it has to do with children. So we seek out partnerships, thought partners and um, like-minded agitators and disruptors to dismantle the inequities in order to build and liberate an equitable system for children. Now to dig even more specifically in the work that I lead in the K-12 uh, strategy. So when I talked about um, mitigating learning loss. So I work on accelerating our advocacy and funding that is centered on literacy loss, specifically third grade reading. We use MSTEP um, as our bellwether indicator, third, the third grade outcomes to determine how we're doing in meeting the needs of kids in terms of early literacy. So we have in-school literacy interventions um, that happen during the school day within the school, even in the virtual, within virtual classrooms. And we have community-based um, literacy partners. I talked about earlier, the power of parents and the inequities about learning right now that parents don't have what they need to be the best that they can be for their students. So we have partners who actually, their programming is focused on working with parents to educate them, to inform them and teach them how to work with their students at home in their academic learning. I also wanna point out is that in Detroit, there's Detroit Public Schools Community District and there are charter schools. We are equity focused. 
we focus on all the schools across Detroit. We don't have a favorite, should I say. The other piece, uh, the collective impact work. So we have partners that focus on literacy. Um, the specific partner uh, is, and their literacy is part of the third grade reading, the third grade, um, excuse me, the grade level reading campaign, the national campaign. And so our local partner is 313 Reads. And we have another partner um, that we work with um, every school day counts. And these are partners we work with to work on literacy and to also the wraparound services that address chronic absenteeism. Because if our students don't show up to learn, then they don't learn. So we're thinking about what are those barriers. The second part that I really want to identify, which is a part is part is part of the reimagining of schools. We are working with schools across Detroit, not just one particular system, on culturally responsive education. Again, using this time, the racial reckoning that is happening, to really think about what is culturally responsive education, what does it look like, wall to wall transformation. And the other um, piece that I'm excited to share, because I've talked about the wellness, we are creating and launching, launching a principal wellness professional learning community that is focused on championing principals so they can carry on their courageous walks. Um, we're working with educational experts and organizations that have expertise in principal leadership, culture responsive leadership and wellness. And along with that wellness piece, we also have support, social emotional supports. We support programs that provide social emotional supports for children inside of schools. So that's just a little bit of um, what we're up to at the Skillman Foundation and this pandemic piece. And again, all this came with a focus on leveraging this, this chaos and this havoc and finding these opportunities. What would it take? Well, it's a remarkable, remarkable agenda. I, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's we've been having this ongoing conversation of what the great reset's going to look like coming out of the mm -hmm. pandemic, but uh, you've articulated better than any of the rest of us can. So, thank you for that. Yeah. So, Carmen, as we run out before we run out of time, uh, is there anything else you want our listeners to know about you or about the Skillman Foundation that we haven't already talked about? Um. So. I'll, I'll wrap this up as quick as, as in a um, snapshot as I can. So there are five values that we have at the Skillman Foundation. Kids first, equity focused, trusted partner, greater than grants, worldwide, Detroit smart. So Rose Skillman, who started the Skillman Foundation with just $60,000 in December of 1960, she started the foundation with $60,000 in December of 1960. Now, 60 years later, we just are celebrated our 60th anniversary. We have granted nearly 670 million and have assets of approximately 500 million allowing us to serve children. Kids first. We remain focused on equity. We learn from so many different places and people across the world so we can show up big for Detroit, worldwide, Detroit smart. As grant, as grant makers and change makers, we hold an ambition for children that outweighs what our dollars alone can accomplish. So we're greater than grants. 
We have, we utilize our change-making skills. We are change agents. We are sign ourselves. So we strive to be a trusted partner in service to the children of Detroit. So we're always looking to be in good company in developing relationships and keeping the interests of Detroit children first. So many will say that we do punch above our weight class and that's because of our deep love and passion for Detroit and even personally, those five values that I spoke of, I hold those deep. Kids first, equity focus, trusted, Money is not everything, but love will make this world go around faster and quicker and better. And, I, and I, I'm a lifelong learner. So I, I believe in, in, in seeking wisdom and um, doing my best to, to show up for the people who I lead and serve. What a wonderful way to wrap that up. Uh, the, we asked, Diane asked you earlier, what drew you to the Skillman Foundation? Well, I think the answer is pretty obvious as, you, as we listen to you talk about this has really been able to harness your passion, your intellect, your, your spirituality, and your just genuine commitment to doing this right. So uh, congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, before we do our closing, Sue, is there anything that you want to mention that before we... Carmen, the Skillman Foundation has such amazing, not only principles, but actions behind those principles. What a fabulous opportunity for this region, our state and our country to think about that question, what will it take? Because it says it all. Um, it's wonderful to see your leadership shining through and those that have come before you. It's going to be exciting to watch where these principles take Skillman forward and then how you can inform the work of other districts in the region, the state and across the world. Because yeah, your aspirations certainly are, are not only noble, but they're achievable because of the quality that, that you're working with. So thank you so much for sharing your time, your passion, your expertise, but most of all, thank you for the work you do for children. Thank you so much. Gratitude um, to everyone. Thank you so much. I appreciate Anyone it. Anyone listen, if people listening to this will say, how do I get more information about this? Well, we'll, we'll post some key items on our website. And of course, uh, Carmen, and people can feel free, I'm sure to contact you at the Skillman Foundation. Of course. So through that contact information as well. So to our listeners, thank you for being part of this very extraordinary uh, uh, installment of Podcast for Leadable Schools coming to you almost live from Oakland University. Thanks again to Dr. Carmen Kennedy Rogers for being our guest and for sharing a wonderful view of what education can be coming out of the pandemic. So again, thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for further conversations as we move ahead envisioning what schooling after the pandemic can look like. That's a wrap. Yay. Thank you so much.